Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man whose face was plastered all over Hot Topics in the year 2000. I am the Adam Glass, and it led to a lot of lawsuits, and <laughs> I'm not very happy about that time in my life. Right. But... You can just sit in front of the... What was the name of that other store that we would sit in front the of? Hollister. Yeah, the I Hollister. Yeah, the Hollister. sit in front of the Hollister. <laughs> Whenever I ended up at the mall, I was so mad about being at the mall. Does Hot Topics still exist? Probably not, right? I am... I am fairly certain Hot Topic still okay. exists. I was just, I, I want, I, in retrospect, this is not a thing I think about very often, but every time I do think about it, I get a little bit like, why was Che's face everywhere in the year 2000? Was it just as sort of like this general gesture towards the idea of rebellion? I think Che's face has been everywhere since 1969. I agree. I understand that. But uh, like specifically on is, mass market t-shirts that are sold in Hot Topic. Right. The marketization of rebellion, the consumer the the turning rebellion into a consumer good uh is a means of of denaturing limiting right, that rebellion, yeah, yeah. of denaturing it, right? So, you know, it all makes very makes much sense. sense. I'm not like, saying I'm not saying the CIA is behind Hot Topic's Che posters. Uh, but I am saying they aren't mad about it. Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lost in Criterion. Over there for Yeah, let's do. Over there for just a dollar a month, you get access to a bonus episode. We put together a list of movies every month. It's usually four films in a theme, and the fifth one is always Kazam, the 1996 children's movie, as an escape valve in case the list I put together is really, really bad. It's an escape valve Uh, they don't like. Sometimes it has been. They don't really like to use it. That's that's fair. I, I you know I maybe I've just gotten better at. I think that's actually lists, probably the but case. But I don't believe that's true. I think it's true. Uh, I believe in you. I don't. I don't ever. Uh, but yeah, we end up watching a non-criterion film over there. The, that's the one rule on the list is it's, it's something that is outside of the Criterion collections. Is to give us a chance to to watch a movie that isn't part of this long march toward death that is lost in Criterion. Uh, we might finish it. We won't finish it. Uh, but over there, we have a, a chance to watch something different. Uh, not that the Criterion Collection is, you know, one note. You know, there's a wide variety of things in the Criterion Collection, as wide as film itself. So, right. you know, we end up watching... Uh, I used to say we watched a wider variety of things over the Patreon, but that's really not true. We just watch different things. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they're things that should be in the Criterion Collection. Sometimes they're things that... Really shouldn't maybe be in shouldn't the even exist. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. are kind of um, crimes against humanity. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, but yeah, have a lot of fun over there, and supporters get to suggest lists if they like. And usually, if you suggest a list, we'll try to get you on that episode. So we end up talking to people about movies they really love quite often over there, and that's really fun as well. Love having those conversations. Uh, One dollar gets you that vote. Gets you ho- access to all of the back. Uh, catalog of bonus episodes over there. There's uh, there's over 50 over there right now. Uh, a little above that, $5. Uh, for people who want to help us, help us keep going a little bit more, 
we like to thank those people on air. So thank you to Stephen Goldmeyer, Eric Coronado, uh, Andrew Jarrett, and Chris Otto, our current $5 supporters. A little above that, we do something that I think is pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, either on the main podcast or the bonus episode, uh, quite often, fairly recently. Yeah, I mean, the bonus bonus episodes have been real real bangers recently. But the bonus episodes have been, yeah, they've been really great. Uh, So thanks, supporters, for that. But Pat makes a piece of art based on one of them. I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little personalized note, and mail it off to our $10 and above supporters once a month. We also like to thank those $10 and above supporters on air. So thank you so much to Adam Speakerman, Tracy McGrath, Patrick Yako, Nina Bojnak, and Jason Westhaver. Thank you. Again, you can head over to patreon.com slash lostincriterion to support us directly like that. But if you want to see the postcards before committing, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion. And we've got most of the back catalog of those up there. You can see them. You can buy them as postcards, buy them as greeting cards if you want to write a little more. Uh, you can buy them, some of them as stickers, uh, and some of them, well, most of them as stickers, and some of them as pins. Um, you should do so it. Yeah, you should buy them. They're very you, good. They are very good. I know Pat. Pat's saying that sarcastically because he doesn't want to praise himself. I don't believe but in they myself. are very good. Pat, you should believe in yourself. Nope, not gonna happen. Again, head over to Redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion if you want to see that, or head over to Patreon.com/slash Lost in Criterion support us more directly. But even if you can't do that, thanks for listening. We're very grateful. Yeah, we appreciate it. We appreciate everybody. This week, we are talking about a long movie that maybe is technically two movies and we should have split yeah, we, it. I, <laughs> in, well, so we had a philosophical argument about, not argument, like we discussed this, whether or not we should break it up or not. Yeah. And we're like, well, no, it's it's one movie. It's it, So we're going to put it... One movie, and we're just going to bite the bullet, and we're going to do it as one long movie. Um, in hindsight, I don't know what the best answer is, honestly, because right, right. they premiered having, it as a road show it. version. Like, when they did it, like, yeah. everybody who basically ever saw this movie in theater saw it as one long-ass movie with an intermission in it. Um, so it's like, well, okay, that seems to be the legitimate version of how you watch this movie. But if you go to... If you go to buy this movie, there's a 50-50 chance they will try to sell you each one separately. <laughs> uh, they right, may or may right, not, right. but there's a decent chance that they will, depending on like which version you get. Criterion, thankfully, won't try to sell you uh, it as two separate movies, but they will try to sell you a 50-pound block of material uh, as well. There's, just, there's a lot of bonus stuff on this. Right. But the movie is Che from 2008, directed by Steven Soderbergh. We've seen... Uh, a lot of Soderbergh work so far. Um, we've seen his movie Traffic, and we've also seen his movie. Uh, <laughs> oh, what was the name of that one? That really, the really weird one. I, uh, I, I have a weird blind spot for Soderbergh in the sense that, like, I do not. Despite the fact that I have watched a fair number of his movies, and like we've talked about them, we've enjoyed them, and, and so I have no ability to associate him with any particular work. It's just a name I know. Right. Hopefully right, right. this will do it. Maybe this will be the one where I'm like, oh yeah, he's the guy who made Che. Because up until now, I know he made movies and I could name some right. of them if I tried, but like I don't like in my head like you know when you when you say like Kurosawa, I can picture a Kurosawa film in my head immediately. Like just Right. Just it whips out of the holster, it's just there. And a lot of other directors we've watched, I can do that with. So I'm like, I don't know, movies? Yeah. 
Schizopolis is the other what was uh, one the we fuck was Schizopolis about? I don't remember. Schizopolis was was I remember the name. Soderbergh, Soderbergh taking all of his bad ideas okay. basically and just excising them into one film of your description like, is short not helping. Me <laughs> it's all. not. I I have no idea. The only what you're thing. The only thing you might remember of Schizopolis is there was one scene where like a door-to-door salesman was just speaking word salad. Oh. Uh, but maybe uh, I remember it. Yeah. Uh anyway, Schizopolis, Traffic and now Che. We will watch other Soderbergh films in the future, but we actually haven't seen any of them yet. Uh Sex Lives and Videotape, uh King of the Hill and the uh the two films he did with Spalding Gray, uh, Gray's Anatomy and Everything is Fine, are also part of the Criterion Collection, I believe. Um, so he's just, the Criterion Collection is just jam-packed with him, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, that's six. Well, know, I mean, not, I don't know. Or seven. He's not exactly the most well, represented no, director. I, but, understand, I understand. But there are plenty, I mean, the vast majority of directors in the Criterion Collection have one That's what I mean, Criterion is that like right? he's, so, he's featured far, more, far and above people we have, yeah. We have often said, hey, right. I wish I could see more of that director. And the answer was, Criterion's answer to that was no. Now, of course, none of the Oceans movies are in the Criterion Collection, unfortunately. Uh, we, we could, fix, uh, we could help so, fix that. We could fix that. Soderbergh's most recent film, as of our recording here, is a, uh, a sort of tech thriller called Kimmy. And it's really, really good. I, I have it on my list of movies to watch. Out. I do want do to watch yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Starbucks weird um, in the sense that, like, I boy, here I am using the word weird again. <sighs> We've reverted back to <laughs> no, in the We've sense that, like, even back. in in Sar- the interview that this film has of Starbucks, he acknowledges that he's very well aware of the fact that some of his films are Cannes film and some of them are not, <laughs> which right, I find right, to be right, a, a, right, a remarkable right. level of self like awareness. That, like, look, I ain't putting yeah. out, I'm not putting out like artistic films. With like yeah. high level of like cultural merit all the time. Like, I also just do movies to get paid. Right, right, right. Sometimes I make a movie so that me and George Clooney can go hang out in a right in some in a yeah. villa for uh, for six yeah, months. Yeah, sometimes I um, yeah yeah exactly. Yeah, this this movie Che was not hanging out in a resort for six no, months. No, although was, I I have to admit. As stupid as it sounds, I was a little disappointed that there was no apparent effort made to record the movie in any of the places that the movie's about. <laughs> like, not even <laughs> That's a little actually, bit. That is a really interesting aspect of this movie, is that uh, ideologically, so much of Che is reflected in the way this is filmed. There are no close-ups of Che in the entire first right. movie, right? We really don't even get any close-ups of Che himself alone until the last five minutes of the second movie. Right. right? Soderbergh and others involved explained that that is because they wanted to reflect Che as his and his beliefs in equality and egalitarianism and everyone being equal uh, and felt that to do a close up of Che would be antithetical to the man. Uh, it's shot in Spanish for a similar reason, because why would you shoot in English the language of the oppressor, uh, the oppressor, uh, the language of uh, yeah, the, the, uh, of the empire yeah. of imperialism when Che was anti-imperialism? 
but then they actually, you know, the entire first movie is shot in Spain. Just, yeah, no, that's you know. uh, that really when they like we went through all this sort of like philosophical stuff, and then they're like, yeah, and so we went to Spain. I was like, <laughs> right, went to right? Spain. <laughs> they're like, well, we figured out yeah. we could like duplicate the environment really well in Spain. I'm like, okay, what are you saying? Because I was like, in my head, I was like, wait a minute, Spain is 100 percent definitely not as close to Bolivia as basically any other country near Bolivia. Like Right, right. Like if right. you can't go to Bolivia or, for some reason, you could yeah. go to any one right. of a number of other countries now, that you could go to. Right. Now plenty of other movies have shot in like Mexico when they yes, should be that's become you know, the that's sort of the go to instead right? of Cuba or or any other South American. And there's there's an aspect of that that feels like the movie production is saying, oh, well, they're all the same, right? Right, which we, uh, we've, which we've is talked not, about, which is not, not great good. either. Yeah. Uh, but, but also, to make all these ideological decisions about uh, portraying, shooting the movie in a way that portrays Che's anti-imperialism. Uh, and sure, the imperialism that Che was fighting against was American imperialism, right? But... Spain is the first imperial power right, right, yeah. to, to conquer those areas, right? So, so to go shoot in Spain particularly feels kind of icky. Yeah, to me. it does. But, yeah, it, it, totally. I was like, "What are we?" The, I don't know. When we when that happened, yeah. it was kind of like a weird, like, like Mike, like right. going dead moment. Shooting, it's like what? What shooting in California would have been worse, but yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> shooting, yeah. shooting in Spain doesn't feel great. Uh, well, and it just, but, and then, like, I don't know. It just, it was just, what? Like, <laughs> she went to the other side of the world, essentially, to shoot a movie right, about right, Bolivia? Right, right. Like, I don't, there's got to be places that look more like Bolivia than Spain. There just have to be. Right. Now, I think, hmm, do we know where the Bolivian scenes were particularly, or am I, am I confusing? I think that the Cuba scenes no. were shot in Bolivia. No, were shot they in described Spain. Bolivia am I being, it? They, they multiple times in that documentary described like being able to recreate Bolivia in Spain, specifically that yeah. city where he is executed. They made a replica oh, yeah. in Spain. Yeah. Cuba, they didn't really, min- I, I think they shot Cuba in Mexico. I'm pretty sure. I think that might be fair. They didn't. They didn't talk about it much. Like somehow, like Bolivia was the one they focused on. Like in terms of like yeah. that 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 making of, that making of was almost entirely focused on the Bolivia section as well. I mean, it like theoretically it covers the whole both films, but the making of was almost entirely concentrated on the Bolivia portion. I think just because they recognized it for them as the harder one to shoot. Um, I IMDb you know. lists part one as being shot in uh, Puerto Rico. Oh right, yeah, no, they did mention that in the in yeah. the um, yeah, yep, yeah, they mentioned it very offhandedly towards the end of that documentary. They mentioned like we shot in like three locations, and it was like one was Puerto Rico, one was Spain, and I think like someplace like like Miami or something like that, or some other like. Well, some there are obviously scenes shot in New York too, but oh yeah, they did mention uh, New York, but I feel like they mentioned like maybe shooting a little bit in like Hollywood or something. I can't remember, yeah, but not very yeah. much. It was obviously the stuff, yes, New York. 
the stuff set in New York it's is shot, shot in New York. In New York. Yeah. And interestingly enough, they, uh, yeah, the entire second, you, you are remembering correctly, the entire second film, uh, according to IMDb at least, is listed as being shot in Andalusia, Spain. So, and like it seems like according yeah. to you know the again according to the documentary they were like well that's the funding we could get we could get Spanish right, backers right right which is always right. and I feel like we've encountered this yeah. specific phenomenon before where like we're like oh we're making a film in Spanish the only people we can find to pay for a film in Spanish is people in Spain Spain yeah it's really yeah. a fascinating phenomenon it's we've encountered it before and I'm like oh that's I mean am I surprised by the fact that American film companies will not finance a movie in any language that is not English? No. Right. American film production companies are dead convinced to this day that Americans will not read under any circumstances. They would rather die. Um, (laughs) Right, right. right. Yeah. Originally, this movie was supposed to be one movie in English. Uh, And uh, producer Laura Bickford and uh, Benicio Del Toro had been working on that project for something like seven years before they actually started filming here and they had brought Soderbergh on board at one point with interest in directing but obviously Soderbergh did a lot of other stuff (laughs) in that time Uh, at one point they approached Terrence Malick about directing and Malick's response was well if if Soderbergh doesn't want to do it I can do it Um, and he worked on on the script with them a little bit and while they were doing that uh, it was mostly Bolivia focused, um, right. but the original script uh, was one film encompassing everything that happens in this, apparently, uh, and just flying by the seat of your pants way too much in 160 pages of script. Uh, so the New York stuff was the first stuff they shot, mostly out of shot just on a necessity millimeter. to get the right. Hey, we don't have right. to build a set if we do it this way. Right, right, right. If we do it fast and do it now, we don't have to build a set because they filmed on location in the UN before the UN remodeled the the room for the first time ever. So right. <laughs> they shot yeah. it. They shot it in the UN when the UN still looked like when Che was at the UN. Um, and then after after they shot that, they expanded the script and lost all their funding. Basically yeah. <laughs> had to go find new funders. Uh, so that's how that worked out. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, Malik then got involved with making new world, which is in the criterion collection. And we'll eventually watch it. Um, and yeah, Soderbergh came back on board and actually directed. Uh, yeah, it's just, it is a long process to get this movie made. And it's made by a bunch of people who seem to have known nothing about Che, except some, except for the T-shirt image. Right. Prior yeah. to deciding it, it, to make a movie really, about Che, the whole thing, the whole <laughs> thing is, the the result is not, the result is quite good. The right, process right. by which it came to be is baffling. Yes. Like deeply, deeply baffling. There are people along the way who seemed to understand on a more fundamental level what Che was about, but none of the people but none of the people who are actually in charge of anything. Not the no. writers, not the right. I mean like I mean when they started. Like but obviously they did a lot of research, yeah. which is great and and I I think that's all very admirable and they learned a lot and they made a movie that is 
Yeah. Seems to be very true to life. Um, But still, like, why would you decide to do that? I don't know why you would do that. So John Lee Anderson wrote a biography on Che that came out in 1997. Um, And I've never read it. I don't know if it was good. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea. I don't Um, don't know. I mean, he's a guy. He's he has been a war reporter. He has been on the ground in war zones in you know post Katrina. He's done political profiles on Chavez, Castro, Pinochet. Uh, he's also an American who's worked worked for the nation. So, right. Well, see that. See that's my like yeah and, yeah and time yeah. and life and you know it's not. There are there are times when legitimate leftism might be presented in Time magazine, uh, but I don't know if this is. In any case, he wrote this biography that came out in 97, and uh, Laura Bickford uh, optioned the film rights to Anderson's book, and that's how the project started. By the time it actually went to production, they have— the rights had expired and this movie is not based on Anderson's biography. Um, they are primarily based on Che's own writing. In fact, right. Uh, section one based on Che's postscript to the Cuban revolution. Um, and then section two based on Che's diary that he was keeping during the Bolivian campaign. Uh, the last 40 minutes of part two though the ending of bolivia you know they couldn't have known basically right yeah <laughs> like, what exactly well, I mean, happened in bolivia that, right? in the last two weeks yeah is is uh you know that's why if you search if you search chase last words you'll get a lot of conflicting information well and that because right. uh no one was really you know, only the Bolivian government was there and probably some CIA students. Well, and that's, uh, and that's like, well, I mean, like, in that making of documentary, they bring up the fact that, like, they were able to shoot. They're fairly confident in the accuracy of it because they got declassified CIA documents. For right, it, which right, is, right. Which is fascinating, right? Like, it's like, okay, well, yeah, because, like, 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 like all good imperial regimes, America keeps pretty decent records about the bad shit it does for some unknown fucking <laughs> right, reason. Right, 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 right. Uh, you know, until you just hit stop on the recorder for 17 minutes or Well, see, that's the thing, right? Is it like, minutes or? Right, exactly. Well, and it's always in broad strokes, right? Like, they're very good records about right, the right, sort of right, broad right, right. strokes of the evil. Like, because like, like all, like most imperial powers, America does not see itself as a bad actor Individual right, right, people right, right, within right. it will be like, oh, I've got to turn off the recorder while I do this horrible thing that I'm not – but it's for the good of insert thing here, yeah. right? There's always this justification internally, but when the reports are written by big old government agencies, it's always, well, what we're we're doing – we're fighting the good fight. We're we're defending the world from the, the scourge of communism. We don't feel ashamed about this. Yeah. The terrible conspiracy theories about the U.S. government that the general public in the U.S. refuses to believe – are mostly just things the U.S. government has said, oh, yeah, we did that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. And I mean, whether or not... 
and and you gotta you gotta trust that if they're admitting to do it, what actually happened was probably worse. Right. Yeah. You're so. reading the sanitize. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's right. the sanitized like um, government report version yeah. of it, right? Right. Which right, which right. you know is what it's just a it's just fascinating that like that's yeah I don't know. Yeah. So so the uh, the traditional uh, proche leftist. Uh, end of life is that Che, when approached by the the gunman sent to execute him, says, shoot, you coward. Uh, you will only kill a man. Meaning that the revolution lives on right. beyond him. Right. Uh, the traditional anti-Che, uh, the, uh, yeah, the Bolivian government i think might be behind this one but also the original the original bolivian government story was that che was killed in combat so i'm not real sure um but there is uh there is a story that che's last words were uh i'm che Guevara. don't kill me i'm che Guevara. i'm more uh i'm more value to uh, valuable to you alive than dead so that one sounds made uh, up to me <laughs> like yeah like I don't know if I believe the other one, but that one just sound that one just reeks of like just made up bullshit, right? Like that's like right, that's right, like borderline right. like them writing like uh like please don't shoot me, I want my mommy. Where's my binky? You know what right, I mean? It's like right, whatever, right, like right, right, he just right, made up right. some shit, whatever. Yeah. Um yeah, Che begging for his life. Uh doesn't seem to track, right? Just doesn't doesn't, doesn't feel seem like to it track tracks. for Che. Yeah, like honestly. Uh I mean also what does track for Che is he were, if he were in an emotional state to have said something like that, uh, he wouldn't have been able to get the words out. He would have just been having an asthma attack. Right, right. right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, what gets presented in the film, and and there's a lot with the background material here with Soderbergh, and, and Del Toro's a producer too, and, and Bickford and the screenwriters in, uh, in one of the bonus materials talking about the making of the film. There's a lot where they seem to try to position themselves as in the middle, like they've they've done so much research talking to right, yeah, uh, Chase friends and other revolutionaries and working from Chase's own words, but they've also talked to the Bolivian government and talked to the CIA and, and um, but what they present as final words are uh, are uh, shoot, do it is all he says, right? Um, yeah, I mean, and then we get yeah. Yeah. I, I do really love that we immediately, instead of seeing Che fall, we switch to a first-person mm-hmm. view. Uh, I, I, yeah. This, the weirdest part of this movie is that it's actually pretty good pro-Che propaganda. Yeah, no, I, I was, like, <laughs> I went through a lot of, like, sort of emotional, sort of, like, a lot of, there's a lot of, it's really a fascinating thing because it is, it is fairly, I was not. I was not expecting, giving, given everything that I know, for it to be that. Uh, especially when you meet the writers in the documentary. You're like, these guys are not, <laughs> right, right. these guys are not, like, these guys do not strike me as, you know, pro-revolution. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're not, they're just not on board, probably. But they made a movie right. that is fairly positive. In fact, like, doesn't really have anything negative to say about him at all really right uh which is kind of right. and one of the criticisms me. one of the criticisms of the film is that it it doesn't portray uh what happened in havana after 
after uh, Che arrived when he was put in charge of uh, executing traitors, executing uh, the Batista uh, loyalists, basically. Um, and Soderbergh's response to that criticism is basically, there is no way I could show that and make the people who wanted me to show that happy. Right, right, exactly, yeah. So so I just decided not to show it. Right. Uh which is smart. I mean the movie's the movie's huge anyway, and and right? it, and it doesn't, doesn't mean... that wouldn't yeah, well it's, it's, it's yeah, he's he's 100% right, right? Like you're not going to make that that group is never going to be happy with you making a Che film in the first place. Um, right, right. And then like when you combine that with the idea that like what what kind of movie would that be? Like what what like what a weird, what a like an uncomfortable like it's just like that doesn't would we doesn't do that with would we do that chronologically pattern. yeah would that be a half hour sequence in the middle between the two films like that's, that's yeah the like it would be very it's, yeah well, yeah it's it's like girl from Ebenema but executions I don't know it's very <laughs> very uncomfortable uh, no I mean and not just because like that's an uncomfortable thing to think about but also like that's just not how storytelling works that would be a very right fuck right, up right, the right. flow of the story completely I, I don't know it's they make references to it, which I feel is probably good enough. Uh, right. You know. And the, and the filmmakers seem to think that showing Che execute the deserters who uh, attacked the, uh, in Cuba, who attacked right. the, uh, the peasant family. Um, it seems to believe that showing Che execute those guys is, a stand-in for for I, that. I, I like, do get what they're. He can't stand traitors, and like I, I kind of get where you're coming from, but there's there is a a qualitative difference. No, there is. The, uh, yeah, between that and like a a sort of uh, yeah yeah. I I agree. I mean, maybe not from Chase's perspective. Maybe from Chase's perspective, they are the same because they're traitors who have raped and pillaged. Right. I mean, uh, Cuba for you know decades, if not right, longer. and right. and so. And, there's a there's a matter of taking into account Che's perspective on it, but I also think that like I don't think the um, the documentary has a problem of kind of and sometimes feeling like they're interviewing the wrong people with about the wrong questions, um, right? Like by the time we're talking about like that kind of stand-in and stuff like that, yeah, that's the writing, but that's also there's a lot of directorial decisions there. I think you can make a justification that your main goal there is to show how cold and brutal he could be. What I mean is that, like, you yeah. you don't want you because like Soderbergh talks that a little can bit be about the justification, that. but like my read of that scene was not this is a cold decision. My read of that scene was these guys are bad guys and they betrayed the cause right, yeah. and they're making the cause look worse. Right? They from from the pure uh standpoint of the revolution these aren't guys who uh we had a minor disagreement for so we're going to paint them as counter revolutionary as an excuse to write them out of our history these are guys who ran away right yeah with your with your material and then uh raped a young girl and well and uh, apparently it seems like did a yeah. lot more like i mean like based on the movie like we're doing that for quite a while we're just sort of running roughshod over the countryside and the in the peasantry right like, right 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 yeah 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 there's no, actually I, I, some of the bonus material there's a deleted scene that's another encounter 
between uh, Che's guerrilla group and that same peasant family. Uh, and the peasant family, uh, the mother pulls a machete on them as they approach to try and buy food from them uh, because she has just had an encounter uh, with those other guys stealing food. Uh, stealing uh, stealing pigs, I think is what it was. Um, but in any case, you know, it's it's just one more. You know, most of the deleted scenes, it makes sense. You know, they, they didn't add a lot. Uh, but that one is sort of establishes one more point in these guys have been out there for months. Right. Uh, and other people possibly uh, under the guise of being with Fidel uh, have also been terrorizing the neighborhood by either, either them being bad actors or them being state actors who are trying to undermine the cause or whatever. Uh, the point is that they are not in line with what the revolution wants. Right. Uh, so when Che finds them, they're removed. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's actually another deleted scene that was kind of interesting of, uh, of a counter to that, basically. Um, a, a situation happens where many of the soldiers are demanding that a certain, uh, uh, yeah, corporal, the, the, you know, uh, officer who is, right. Uh, he had been abusive. I think it's a deleted scene. Maybe I'm, no, I'm I think I know it's, you know, it, it's in the, uh, when they, in Bolivia, when they first attack that first, like troop group, they ambush them. They have a scene where they like, what? Oh what no, 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 we no. Do with that is right. That is that is a Bolivian right uh, commander. Right, and uh, all the other Bolivian in the deleted troops scenes, say like, yeah. you should kill him. <laughs> and they don't. Yeah, and he's just no. They they have a mirror scene to that. Oh, okay, that got deleted from from the first film, where because uh, so much of this film is is mirrored, right? Um, where uh, a you know, part of the revolutionary forces, part of the guerrillas, um, a commander there uh, was uh, overreacted to one of the peasants who had joined up uh, being lazy, refusing to put on his boots or whatever, uh, and pistol whipped the guy. And the guy died. And soldiers were calling for his execution as, as a murderer. And uh, Che demands a trial, a tribunal, and then everybody votes on whether or not, you know, and, and Che and Raul and Fidel and a couple of other people uh, speak either for or against this man receiving the death penalty, which, which by regulation, killing your own man uh, should, you know. So part of it is... Uh, an inconsistency of applying regulation, right? But also part of it is the demand for actual, you know, justice structure. Right. Um, so, uh, anyway, basically, Fidel, Che, and Raul all say, I don't think he deserves the death penalty. He certainly deserves to be punished. He'll be stripped of his authority. Um, but this was a mistake, and we've all made mistakes. Uh, and, you know, the people who were friends with the guy who died say he killed him. <laughs> you know, uh, it doesn't matter if it was a mistake. He killed him. Uh, 
and then they all vote and and the vote is 76 to 70 uh with the with the 76 voting to let the man live um and then there's a big explosion of people saying oh that's not fair that's not fair and then the scene ends and i don't know where that fits in the narrative of the first movie and i don't know where it would have gone from there uh whether that is it doesn't make sense in the scheme of the first movie because i feel like that would have been a moment of breaking morale to the point where a lot of people would have walked off right right, right. the the essay um accompanying this is written by amy tobin and she says something in it that that i feel like is a misread of even what the movie wants us to see okay uh she says uh she says uh, talking about it showing Che's ruthlessness by the fact that uh he will uh he'll he'll kill deserters uh but he only kills deserters who are also just you know, are deserting to rampage, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like the guys, the guys who he, he calls, you know, I think it's in the Bolivia section. They have like a big, they're standing in formation. He says, anyone who wants to leave needs to leave now. And you turn in your gun and they leave. They don't execute those guys. Yeah. Right? I mean, they, they humiliate just, them a They do bit. just go. They humiliate them a lot. Right. Uh, they, yes, they absolutely humiliate them, but they don't murder them. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I think seem... unfortunately there is no scene in this in either movie of of just straight deserters. Well, the closest right, we get right, is right. in Bolivia, two of those people who they had just recruited like like a week, but like just right, immediately right, right, took right, the gun around. when they finally got handed a gun and like ran away and got caught. But there's no evidence in the Bolivia movie that they executed them. Like they, it seems like. I don't, we don't really know what happened to them. It seems like they did catch them, maybe. It was a little hard to read. I found the Bolivia section because the Bolivia section, I believe, earnestly is trying to make things more chaotic because to right. reflect the reality. It also makes the Bolivia section a little bit harder to read in general, like just to, to yeah. follow what's well, going on perfectly. Whereas in the Cuban section, it's very easy. Like You just you always know yeah. what's going on all the time. The Cuban section is shot and framed, actually, with its with its big wide right. screen uh, and brightness. is shot like a nineteen fifties or sixties like Wild Bunch yeah. sort of yeah. uh, you know Western World War Two action movie. Right, and um, yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And and section two uh, is darker. It's more muddled. It's more chaotic. It's more like uh, Punisher without the alien. Well, I mean, uh, and not just because it's in a South American jungle, but, but, but also it's it's shot like a horror movie, right? And it's shot in a way where you know the forces are slowly disappearing. Over right? Yeah, I mean, know, it definitely has a, a sort of predator vibe, and like it, it <laughs> yeah. also, I mean, it you know, Soderbergh talks about this a little bit, but like talks about the idea that like, well, these are mostly based on his diaries, which like reflect only what he knew. Rather than like right, like right, a retrospective, right. where and so like it kind of captures that idea that like when we're focused on Che, we really only know what Che knows to a greater or lesser extent. We do have some omniscience because we do see like what the Americans are doing at the time. We do see occasionally that other group, but like right, 
oftentimes, especially the um, but what they do do, which I think is actually do do, uh, what they do do that is uh, very that helps that despite showing us those things, they disjoint them from a rea- sense of reality in space. So like when they're showing the American uh, sort of advisors, you don't really know where you are. You have no you you know what I mean? Like you don't know where you are in you know where you are in time, but you don't really know where you are in space. You don't know where this place is. Right. And the same with the um with the other um the other sort of like column of the of the of the revolution, like we see them doing stuff, but it's very disjointed. It doesn't have a lot of flow. Like we'll cut to it occasionally and we know that they're in trouble, but we don't really know where they are. Just like Che doesn't know where they are, we don't really either. Basically, until right. they get to the river, and then they get murdered. Basically, like yeah, yeah. Also, in the second half, I found myself distracted by recognizing people. Yeah, <laughs> not not <laughs> you know recognizing actors. Like when Lou Diamond Phillips shows up as the head of the Marxist right, Party right, in right, Bolivia, right. or uh, or toward the end, uh, Matt Damon shows up as a as yeah. A it's a German little strange, priest. right? Like, uh, it yeah. makes the second part. I, it is actually one of know, the more you know. disappointing elements of the second part is that it feels more somehow the second part has a feel of a more modern prestige movie and that kind of makes it worse. If that makes sense like it yeah, I think I think it kind of does cuz it cuz it like also has that like part of like what Cyber's going for with like the shaky cam and stuff is to like the handheld cam that's shaking is to give it more sort of like like um sort of um i don't know what the word i'm looking for like feel more real but the net result right. is it also feels more like the born identity which i don't want any movie to feel like really <laughs> right 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 yeah especially when you combine that with a desaturated color palette you start to get into very 2008 movie territory right. it feels right. and i understand he's going looking for that contrast but the problem is, is what he arrived at for contrast is maybe one of the most generic forms of film of that time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, and, you know, given given the immenseness of this cast, obviously if I were uh, more familiar, you know, every every single person in yes. these movies there are has a Wikipedia page, lot of right? People. They yes, are known I, actors, I right? Well, so, but, like, there are certain so there, people. I could deal with some of them, but there are certain, like, yeah. You see Matt Damon on the screen, it's just it's going to ruin your day no matter what, really. Yeah, well, you know, also, you know, generally the other the guys in part 1, uh everybody's got revolution facial hair going on too, right, so helps, even if yeah. I would recognize any of them, I'm not going to recognize them with the mustache. Uh whereas in part 2, it's just Lou Diamond Phillips who always looks like Lou Diamond Phillips. Right, absolutely. It's just Matt Damon, yeah. who always looks like Matt Damon. Right, absolutely. Uh, and and, so. and I, find, I find all of them to be somewhat someone who will take me a little bit out, but man alive, Matt Damon yeah. just ruins, just, just ruins <laughs> right? it for me so bad. Like, way more, probably because, it honestly is probably derived from the fact that, like, he's also just a random, he's just supposed to be this random priest who's like, some random German priest. He feels like a throwaway character, even in and of himself, like within the right. within the story, and then it's just Matt David, and it feels more like a cameo than any other than any other person in the right. film. Right, like right, everybody really else is part. at least playing a part. Right, 
even the other people we recognize are right or at least playing a part and they're scenes. yeah they're reappearing they're yeah. there they're they're committing to a role in the movie that that has an impact on the story matt damon feels like yeah. hey we got matt, matt damon for like an hour on tuesday yeah we're gonna matt ha- damon said he wants to be in our movie yeah so uh we're gonna we're gonna do it yeah um and you know i like I like the fact that he's uh, a shout out to the um, to the support for the revolution of some uh, uh, you know Catholic priesthood within South America, right? The the whole liberation theology stuff. Obviously, the movie doesn't get into it at all, but that yeah. is something that is concurrently going on with uh, 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 priests who are from the South American countries and with German priests as well who have, who have come to the country, uh, you know, working on these things. Um, so that's a good shout out. Maybe I would want to see more of that, but having him played by Matt Damon just feels it it. very, just, it very feels awkward. Real, yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, Lou Diamond Phillips you know, is like playing a character, like who's, in, who's central to them, to the story. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially in two thousand eight. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like, Matt, I, don't, I think Matt, you and I just have Matt like Damon anti anti Matt Damon leans. That's what it I really don't want to be anti Matt Damon, no, but it does seem like Matt Damon at the height of his fame too. So it really is Matt Damon as a cameo. Yeah, that, and, I think that's my favorite. It, it looks like I yeah, don't, it is. It is for me. It is cameo era Matt Damon. Yeah, it the, feels like too. So the dialectics of this film trying to be true to Che's anti-imperialism and then filming in Spain. Right. Uh, also, also come up with, with that ideology of presenting Che in Che's own words and then having Matt Damon show up for a cameo. That is at odds yeah. uh, <laughs> to me. Um, and it really, really took me out. So, you know, uh, maybe it doesn't for other people. Uh, Maybe if Matt Damon had a mustache, I wouldn't have recognized him. I, I mean, it legitimately, <laughs> there probably could would have been ways where you put Matt Damon in there and it doesn't, like, fuck up the movie. Like, right. you could put him in there as, like, one of the journalists who, like, rolls, like, like, or something like, you know what I mean? Like, he's just, the way he's just, like, he gets this, like, five minutes on screen, direct interaction. It's too, it's too. Right. It's, and I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure that in, I am sure that in 2008, uh, Damon viewed himself as more aligned with Che than, uh, you know, general politics in the U.S. Certainly, right? Um, didn't he get? I feel like, I mean, like hardball or something in 2006, talking about how only the poor go to war, and that was. I one mean, of his yeah, he's got a he's he's like, like one of those kind of actors yeah. who's. Like not that deep into it, but like a little bit more than maybe some of his peers. It's always a little hard to. I I find that like nailing down the politics of individual actors to be borderline impossible. <laughs> right, 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 right. With, with exceptions, yeah. there are some ones that there are some that. Correction, you know it when it's, it becomes very obvious immediately when it's very very real. You you know what I'm saying? Like we we have talked yeah. about actors who wear that shit on their sleeve, and that's like kind of all they they do. You know what I mean? 
Right. And then you know, right? Like we've we've talked about a few of them uh in the past. So But yeah. But yeah, but also there are people like Harry Dean Stanton who in any interview will tell you he's he's a leftist anarchist, but it doesn't necessarily uh if Harry Dean Stanton had shown up as this German priest, uh I also would have been taken out of the movie, but maybe right. it would have ideologically made more you sense. Would have, to me. You would have understood it a little bit better. Yeah. Well yeah, yeah that's yeah. yeah, that's kinda what I was going for. There are the there also, are Harry, the... Dean, Harry Dean Stanton was a, a devout atheist too so i don't think he would have shown up to play a priest even right. a leftist one but but yeah um yeah it's beyond that yeah. the second film has you know as we've said it, it it feels very different it's shot very different it's in a different uh, aspect ratio um it's uh <laughs> It's set. Its timeline is set, right? You know, it's it's this. You know, every so often we get a we get a screen that pops up that says day number. Right. I whatever. mean, it's supposed to track with the biography, like with the um the diary, right. pretty closely, right? Yeah. You're supposed yeah. to feel it passing the same same way. Yeah, and we do still get flashbacks within it, right? Um, particularly toward the beginning, toward the end, we get flashbacks, right? Um. And the final scene is, is, you know, it's a throwback to one of the earliest scenes from the first movie, right? Not the very earliest scene. I love, I absolutely love that Che is introduced having an asthma attack in the jungle. That is, right. <laughs> the, the opening of this movie is great. Yeah, they do a really, uh, they do, uh, yes. Again, the first movie I, is really great. <laughs> like, the first yeah. movie is really, really great. And I love, I love that throughout both movies, and this is particularly true in the second one, that Che is continually shown doing medical work for the yes, peasantry yeah. they interact with, right? Uh, he shows up, and, and you know, and in, in Bolivia, he meets a guy who went to medical school in Havana. He's like, oh, where did you do your residency? It's just, there are a lot of really great uh, yeah, I moments mean they, around Che being a doctor that I really love. <laughs> they do a good, it does a really interesting good job of keeping him sort of grounded, like, the movie, both of them have a decent amount of balance when it comes to some of that stuff where you can kind of, right, where they don't let you lose track of like what kind of person he is throughout both movies, really. Like, I mean, the second movie has some flaws that we've talked about, but both of them do a good job of being like, of balancing out pretty, right. bra- balancing yeah. out violence with, with like, why would somebody be compelled to do the things that this person is doing? Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, if in as much as this movie is pro Che propaganda, it's also sort of anti Castro propaganda. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, it's yeah. In that the very nature of the story being told is that Che believes so much in the revolution that he goes on to fight other revolutions. You know, he's like Giabaldi in the nineteenth century, right? right? He's he's a guy who is just interested in helping people free themselves as much as right. he can, wherever he can. Uh, whereas Castro comes to power and never leaves Cuba. And we even have a scene in the second one where we cut from uh, Raul and Fidel at like Fidel's birthday party in right <laughs> in a nice house in Havana to Che in the jungle uh, <laughs> in Bolivia. Right. Yeah, the so, movie definitely wants us to draw that that 
parallel on that line. Um, they want us to like be like, well, one of these is a true revolutionary, and one of these is right. Just and we have, and we had already, we already had the New York bits in, uh, in the first one where Walche is very, uh, always ready to talk, right? And he's he's smart, and he knows. He knows why he's doing what he's doing, and he will tell people why he's doing what he's doing. He's also really uncomfortable in that party scene in New York where right. he's talking to, you know, uh, American leftist in, intelligentsia, right? Right. <laughs> you know? um, at, at this New York Upper West Side apartment gathering. Um, I do love when they walk out of that party and the one guy goes, well, that was a nice party. After we've just, every, every shot we've had of him at the entire party, he was stuffing his face full of food right it's yeah very, it's, it's good it's good uh there are great moments of comedy in this movie too <laughs> too uh but yeah and you know in that it is just it is very human and it's very focused on che's humanity even as che uh you know and del toro i think says this in the background uh the uh, um the making of uh even as che his character really doesn't change. He's got a pretty flat character arc. Right. <laughs> because because he has one set of beliefs and is unwavering in that set of beliefs, uh, which is what leads him to his death. Right. But where the I'm worth more to you alive than dead story of his final words feels really, really off is that even outside of this movie, now obviously that's not in this movie, but even outside of that movie, of of the way Chase presented in this movie, what I know about Chase, that just doesn't feel right. Right, and then, Uh, yeah, I mean, the the part of the reason why, though, that, like, uh, Del Toro's, like, sort of comment about a flat character arc is part of the problem we're dealing with here is that, like, it's flat character arc because that character arc already happened. This movie jumps to a point in Chase's life that is significantly past what made right. Che what Che is. You know what I mean? Like And it and it, there it's are other movies about does that actually, that are pretty good. Yeah, it <laughs> it does actually jump over that bit too, because we do get Che and Fidel's first meeting. Uh right. Uh and then, you know, we've got this time jump from when they're talking about the revolution when they first meet at that house. And then we we jump over all of the training in Mexico right. to them on the boat headed to headed to Cuba. Um, well, and like, and so I'm yeah. specifically thinking also, like, I mean, we don't talk about like his, you know, there's, you know, famously other movies like Motorcycle Diaries and stuff like that that deal with him like traveling through South yeah, Americans. Yeah, yeah. that are all really right. key to understanding like the person we're talking about here. Yeah, motors. Chase's ideological journey starts in his early 20s. Right. The youngest we see him in this movie is probably around 30, right? Right. So. And, and so we're, we're the problem we're running into, like, not a problem. I'm going to imply that it's a problem. This movie starts where it starts, and it makes a good, I think, a pretty decent choice about yeah. where to start. It reads well. It's good. It's just that, like, but it starts, that character it arc is not there point. because it already right. happened. That thing happened yeah. already. Che already knows who he is. Right. By the time we enter this story. So, yeah, it makes sense that he doesn't change as a character over the course of this because he knows who he is. Um, and I mean, and, and then yeah. I would say that he does change between the two movies to a certain extent. Right. And I think Del Toro does a decent job of this. Like by the you know, by the time we get Che in the second movie, especially, you know, we do see some change. Right. He. 
there's a certain amount of like not I wouldn't call it desperation, but this sort of like at some point in the second movie, there's a sort of like kind of obvious sort of resignation to the idea that like this is gonna go kind of only one way, like, and we're just doing this because we we're not gonna give up on the thing right. that's happening here. Like, you gotta keep trying, but it's not going well. Uh, I don't know. It's not a big character change or anything like that, but I think in the way that he's portrayed, it, it's because you know we do watch a we. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call it a character arc, but there's, there's, it's not like he's flat in like the worst terms that that could mean, right? <laughs> like where he's just like, he does change a little bit, I think. Right, right. Yeah. Um, this movie does a thing with uh, Batista uh, in like his final scene that is very interesting to me because it's how. U.S. media frequently represents people like Che and Fidel, uh, where Batista is in the palace, like packing up, ready to go. And like him and his number two and another guy walks in, his subordinate walks in and and he's like, oh, yeah, we, we've got to go check on the troops. Uh, if anyone tries to leave, kill them. And then like they run away. Right. right? Uh, and that sort of uh, that selfishness of of betrayal of of. Is, it just frequently shows up in like stereotypes of how U.S. media portrays South American revolutionaries, right? Not, uh, and you know how how things like uh, I was going to say how 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 sometimes uh, South American bad guys get presented too, but usually those South American ba- bad guys are Marxist revolutionaries. So like well, I, I think uh, that what to, you're what you're running into there right. is that this is a very rare case in which that is those things are not the same right, thing, right? Um, yeah. And I would say, yeah, no, we've definitely seen that, like, oh, I'm getting out of here. Well, I mean, you see it. It's not just, like, in the, that is a common sort of trope in American media in general, right? Like, the bad guy, the big boss bad guy packing up, frantically packing up their suitcase while yelling orders at their subordinates to, to fight till the last man is right, a right, is right. appeared in countless Saturday morning cartoon shows I watched right right thousands of things right it's just it's a it is it is a it is a firmly held belief in America and I'm not necessarily here to argue with it one way or the other that 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 evil people are always cowards right right and it's always you know, it it pops up with authoritarians across the board as yeah. long as they are enemies of the U.S. Uh, but it just seems to pop up so much in my mind. It seems to pop up with, you know, the way South American uh, you know, Marxist revolutionaries are also, you know, uh, portrayed as authoritarians. Right, right. That <laughs> so, That's definitely you know, true. And then I think you're, you're running into a couple different things because there's also that sort of like, there is there is a lot of there are a lot of American sort of things going on there, right? Like there is the the belief there's a, a, a sort of inherent American belief that like the South and Central America are there's a very patriarchal view of the idea that like they're they're they can't govern themselves, right? They they're they're and then you combine that with this like this idea that like oh yeah like 
we cynically support this one or that one, but they're all bad guys, really, and, like, they're all cowards, and they're all, like, you know, it's very much that, that, I don't know, it's very built into America at this point, this idea, like, there's a reason why when you get on the news, like, people don't, in America, don't even have to, like, really understand even what country they're talking about in Central and South America to just immediately assume that they're, they're socialists and they're evil dictators, like to the man. Like you know what I mean? It's like, it's just what we do at this point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we 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 That's we fair. painted a very specific picture of like the Cuban Revolution and then like extended it to literally every single Central and South American state. Period. Ad nauseum, right. completely. Like, and it didn't start yeah. there either. I mean, there there were instances before that but that seems to be like the one that we use as our gold standard now it's like nope this is this is what happens in south america if we let them if we let south american and central americans control themselves in any capacity this is what happens yeah (laughs) uh man i do like where che is used to push up against that sort of stereotype you know like at the uh um after they take las vias uh you know we won the war the revolution begins now and then they're on their way to Havana, and a bunch of soldiers drive by in a in a red convertible. And he stops them. And is like, "Where did you get that?" Uh, it was one of the it was one of the soldiers in Libya's. Uh, take it back, take it back, and walk to Havana if you have to, but don't steal the car. Right. <laughs> and just you know this this complete. Uh, you know, Che contrasted to at least stereotypes of of other uh, revolutionaries um, is portrayed here as completely disinterested in looting even stuff that only exists because of the looting of the people he's freeing, right? Right. You know, uh, that soldier could not have afforded this car unless people were being oppressed. Uh <laughs> Uh, and his very job as a soldier was as the oppressor. So, um, but uh, a single group of people stealing that car is not justice. Right. It is, that, is, that is not the redistribution that, that, the, uh, that the revolution is pushing for, right? So I don't know. It's it's a very poignant scene and very interesting. Scene, it is. I think be... I like it. My only real issue with it, not like I don't think it's bad. I just think that I, like I actually liked the scene. I enjoyed it when it was in the when I was watching the movie. My only real issue is that then like they insist several times throughout the documentary about the movie that their goal was, especially in and really in both of them, but especially in that first one, is to not portray Che as being hyper exceptional. That like. That, like right, it, right, we don't right. want to focus they, heavily yeah. on him. We want to make sure that yeah. we understand, like we portray his way of understanding the world, which is that like he's not special. He's just doing what has to be done, and that the other men that he's with would also do what has to be done. Would like they're all part. We're all they're all revolutionaries. They're all same goal, same ideas. Right. He might be in charge, but that doesn't matter that much. And then right. you and get little scenes like that that the movie just can't resist the urge to make its main character its its hero exceptional 
Right. Particularly in the way the second film portrays the Castros uh, as embracing um, niceties. Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. Um, I think that the movie can't... The movie... We we talked about it. We we're like, yeah. I mean, it 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 turns out to be a pretty decent amount of like pro che propaganda, partially just because it's just mostly trying. Generally, seems to be mostly trying to pull from like an account that is by che or is is generally factual. Um, but then like it, it it the biases of the authors at hand do shine through pretty. Yeah. Pretty not not in often like fairly regularly, like we see that like you know there is still this idea that like even if you're if Che is your hero, Cuba's revolution was bad for the people of Cuba. Right, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's it's weird to me that no one no one brings that up. No one says that in the background materials because it seems so clear in the way this story comes together that they are portraying Che in the way they're portraying him and trying to deflect any criticism by throwing Fidel Castro under the bus. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I mean, and I, I'm not even sure if it's a, a, an attempt to throw Castro under the bus as much as it might just be like, just our authors still have a very clear bias against Castro. Like, just do not yeah. like, like, whether or not Che is a hero or not is irrelevant to the fact that Castro is evil. Like, we, we accept that as written. Right. Um, it's like, a, you know. It's almost like they've, they've gone into this knowing that they know nothing about Che, so they've decided to learn about Che. Right. But they have just gone into this accepting what they already know. Yeah, about the American Castro propaganda as about actually Cuba. being about yeah. Castro. Right? Yeah, no, I th- yeah. I think that's actually basically what we're seeing here because, um, in all honesty, like when you think about it, like Castro's not in the movie, the first movie, very much. Right. Uh, and, he's uh, apparently, of course, as, as far as the movie is concerned, Castro had nothing to do. The movie actually has decided that Castro had nothing to do with the, re- the Cuban always, Revolution. He's always somewhere else. Yeah, like he's never um, involved in the fighting. He's he he shows up from time to time to do some administrative tasks that seem very that are written as kind of seeming very selfish. Uh, and then he's we gone. are we are told he is elsewhere fighting, but we never actually see it. That right. Is fair. Yeah. And 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 it no. fe- and then he even at one point tells Che like, well, you know, at some point you're going to need to like you know, command and not just be at the front line. I want you alive, which I think is meant to read it to the audience as like, Oh, Fidel doesn't fight at the front. Right. Right. right Castro's right. hangs back. Yeah. He, he commands. He doesn't, uh, his fight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is of course, yeah. Uh, one, not true, but also showing him to be a hypocrite. Right. Exactly. Um, and I and I and I think that's just accepting as writ what what American propaganda tells basically everybody involved, right? Like I mean, you right. know, we they it says a lot there's a lot of fascinating things to, to unpack with, with Cuba and the fact that America has just sort of never let go of that after so long. Right. But Right. Um, I also really love, and I wonder how realistic it is. Uh, I mean, to hear to hear our movie crafters talk, it would have to be 
but the fact that as they're taking Las Vegas, so much of the taking of Las Vegas is one or two people walking into a group of uh, Batista supporting soldiers and saying, lay down your weapons now and we won't kill you. And it working. Uh, it's, yeah, it's fascinating. That I, I, you know, it, it does read very much like a, a Hollywood action kind of like a kind of right, a, right. these guys just have so much force of will. It, you know, it's kind of a flip and side there, thing. Like all yeah. these soldiers that they are talking to are legitimately completely and utterly surrounded. Like they don't have any any hope right, of this right, working right, out. Right. So I suppose it makes sense. And like it reads fine in the movie because you're like, well, yeah, I would also agree to give up because I have. I would have zero chance of making it out of this alive. This is the only time anybody's right. ever going to offer me an opportunity to like walk out. I'm going to take it. Um, right. But like, it does read as I don't know if they they got that from you know Chase like sort of retrospective on the on the on the revolution right. or if they just kind. They sound like when they talk about the movie that they de- they tried to avoid making anything up. So one must right. suppose that maybe something about that was written in the retrospective that he wrote, like because yeah, that or, would seem to or be they just pull it shit from out. right, pull it from the interviews they did in uh, Cuba before movie you know, before yeah. production. Uh, they seem to, I don't know if they outright say it, but in the background material they talk in a way that suggests they didn't want to say anything in the film that they couldn't collaborate. Right. They didn't want to take any one person's view of it, even if that one person was Che. Now, working from Che's diary for the bulk of the second movie kind of undermines that ideology, right? Right. Uh, I Although I would argue, yeah, I particularly get that. when nearly everyone else died. Well, uh, I think that's the so, issue, right? Is that like, I, right. it seems like they have very different, but not philo- everyone working philosophies for the first and second movie. I mean, yeah, they do have. There are yeah. people who survived. And they did apparently do interview from the Bolivian Revolution, and they did interviews with them. Right, but like in fact, the uh, the kids who join up in part one, who also go with him to Bolivia in part two, the the guys who are fourteen and sixteen when yeah. they join up in part one, uh, in the bonus materials, those two guys are interviewed. Right, right. Uh, I saw that. I didn't get a chance so, to watch you know, it. They're not, yeah, they're not just, they, they didn't just survive Bolivia. They, they they were still alive in 2008. So, uh, you know, um, yeah, it's really interesting that, that some of the, uh, those interview stuff are substantially maybe not that interesting as far as, you know, what they mean for the movie. Uh, but, you know, it's always interesting to hear people talk about these things as they had happened. Yeah, them. no, I mean, yeah, yeah so those so. kind of, I I enjoy those kinds of interviews. I like documentaries that focus on those kinds of things. I find them really interesting. It's just more just that like I feel like probably with the Bolivia stuff, you probably don't have a lot of sources to pull from like in just in, in just, the Cuban Revolution because right. by nature of being successful, there's probably a shit ton more sources to pull from, right? Right. Especially within Cuba, right? Like within the realm of like, whereas like in Bolivia, like because it yeah. failed, like and certainly that's just not what certainly what information about. you have on what happened in Bolivia is far from uh, unbiased, right? Right, right. absolutely. <laughs> so, no matter which side you're on, uh, so yeah, 
all in all, you know, it the first one particularly is a beautiful film. The second one makes ideological choices. Yeah, in I mean, I don't, I don't, it a slightly less beautiful film. Yeah, I, I don't uh, hate it or anything like that. I just think yeah. that, like, the the second, I, I understand, I understand all the choices that were made. Like you, that when they're all laid out and they explain them, you, you're like, okay, I understand all the things you're telling me. But in the end, I, I wish they had made some different choices. Um, because I think right. it would have had better results uh, in the sort of final final thing. And like, it's not bad. It's not a bad movie. It's just it's not the the first one reads so well, right? That I was pretty. By the time I got done with the first one, I was pretty jazzed. I was like, "This is pretty great." And I understood going into the second one, having some passing familiarity with Chase's life, that I was not in for a positive ride. But I right. kind of hope the movie would still kind of keep its its sort of joie de vivre, even though it moved into a darker time, like or or something that it would carry something with it that it, and that it wouldn't start to feel more kind of like the the I don't know I yeah like something about the second one I understand I just I, I, it just doesn't feel as good to watch either so right. Yeah. Um, so talking about this being in the Criterion Collection. Yes. You know, we have had leftist propaganda, semi-propaganda stuff mm. in the Criterion Collection that we've seen before. You know, pretty left-leaning uh, films, um, political films, uh, even fairly recently. Z, you know, is, is definitely right. a, well, see, and that's a, a leftist Also kind of one film. of the things you run into is that the, this movie is for me mentally butting up right against Z and that what was his other film the other one that we watched um, oh uh missing yes missing i guess couldn't yeah, remember the, other, the title of it the other costa vargas film yeah, yeah it, it it is butting up against films like that yeah. which is kind of in my mind kind of mentally where i was hoping this was going to be sitting right right, when right, I went right. Into it. this is because those movies fucking blew my goddamn mind <laughs> right 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 this is not that mind blowing um but it is sort of in line with the sort of thing ideologically that we've seen from the Criterion Collection. Of course, we've seen we've seen hard right stuff from the Criterion Collection too, yep. and we hate it. Uh, not just because of its politics, but also because of uh, its craft. Right. Uh, but um, <laughs> but still, um, it really feels like this movie isn't in the Criterion Collection because of its politics or its craft so much as like the bulk time wise the bulk of the bonus material is dedicated to it being one of the first digitally shot films right yeah i mean it feels like an ode to the red camera which is yeah yeah like it's an odd thing to take away from this movie that like oh well the most important thing about this film was the fact that like it was only made possible with the power of digital film technology um, right, right. It, I mean, if that is if that is actually how they justified putting this film in here, because they were like, well, we, it's it's significant because of how much of an important role the newly emerging digital film technology played in its in its creation. I that's sad. I don't know. Significance as the first digital epic. I think that that is in line with. It is in line uh, with the way. C- the criterion collection the way criterion puts things in sometimes yeah, yeah. i agree 
Yeah. Um, and as much as we understand the Criterion Collection's decision making, I think that would be uh, a thing that would get it into the Criterion Collection. Right. I mean, right. I think I think it may get into the Criterion Collection also because it is Soderbergh and also just right. We've had so other he has Soderberg a certain amount of work already with, with the collection, so, yeah. and then also the fact that it is a modern epic, which does not actually happen all that often. That's fair. That's like that sort of feels like it's also just in Criterion's wheelhouse. Like, holy shit, a person made a four and a half hour film about a single person. <laughs> like, right, right. Uh, sign us up. Like, we're here. We're like, and, show us where to sign. You I, know, ideologically, it's a throwback to a lot of other stuff we've watched. Right. Um, so yeah, and and in fact, we'll be moving into you know similar things next week with the Roberto Rossellini's War Trilogy, right? Um, as we move through that for the next three episodes, but yeah, I mean it's hard to yeah, determine just, their their, their decision making process. But there is a lot of red material in in yeah, this. Given right, given how much of the bonus material is dedicated to the red camera and yeah. explaining uh, why they couldn't have made this movie without shooting digitally and how the process of them shooting digitally, which is. Somewhat interesting, but also obviously indicative that they didn't trust the technology. Right. Like, and, and they shouldn't have. The red they got was a prototype. And like they, they happened, uh, they were meant to start filming on a certain day. And the guy from Red said, oh, I won't have it. Eh, we won't have the camera ready from then. And something happened that, that uh, delayed production anyway, yeah. start delayed for a week. And the guy from Red said, oh, maybe we can get you something. But, like, the prototype they sent had an overheating problem. Yeah, they were icing uh, it. And shit. What? They were icing it. They were... They were uh, what's really... What's they fascinating... They were gluing it back together. They were... Yeah. yeah. What, what I find really fascinating, the only thing that I found really interesting in all that, because, like, you know, I... I separate from our, from our life here, I do a lot... I like to watch documentaries about how films are made. Like, yeah. in general. I find it to be very fascinating. And, you know... Digital film technology and stuff like that has become accepted standard practice in the industry, basically completely, right? Like, so it's not it's not really surprising anymore, right? Um, and so, like, when I hear about the, but I also remember watching things about this when they were happening, right? Because that's only you know a little over a decade ago, a decade and a half ago, right? When they were starting to move over, I remember watching documentaries and like kind of behind the scenes things, like, oh well, yeah, you know, we're going to be we use this new. Um, you know this new digital film uh filming techniques and i watched a lot of like behind the scenes stuff with like people like robert rodriguez and stuff and robert rodriguez fucking loved digital film and digital filming yeah, and stuff yeah oh he said because he could edit them in his, his home studio and stuff like that well it's pretty neat stuff but like it 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 is the thing i found really fascinating was when they interviewed soderbergh he mentioned that like he never could get past the fact of how there's a very specific look to that first red camera that he got. And it's very, that that particular element is fascinating to me, the idea that, well, this prototype was configured in a way that wasn't duplicated in any of the models that came afterwards, right? So there's right. only there's maybe literally one single movie on Earth that looks exactly like that yeah. one movie. He talks, he talks about how in part one they didn't even use any uh, artificial lighting. Barely. Yeah, it seems like, like they barely like use it. All of that is natural. Them. Yeah, light. it's like right. barely touched it. Uh, yeah. Right, 
And that's, you know, that has to do with the lens that's on it too, but it also has to do with the, the camera's ability to accept that light. Um, yeah. In the, uh, he talks a little bit about it in the behind the scenes, but there is also a bonus feature purely dedicated to the red. Yeah, I did not watch uh, that one. The process I was like, here. this is not interesting I, to me. Sorry. It was not interesting uh, to me either, but I did watch it. Uh, but uh, uh, what is fascinating is that is that they really were distrustful, it seems, of it. Uh, their backup process, they would shoot, and they shot onto uh, you know flash drive cards, whatever yeah, they looked Red like had in this proprietary process. Yeah, flash drive like, cards yeah. at the time. Uh, so they had 237 of these cards to shoot the whole movie on, basically. Uh, and they would... Uh, you know, as soon as the card was full, they take it out. They back it up on site to two hard drives. Those hard drives would go into an archive, uh, and then they would go back to the hotel for the night, and they would dump all that footage onto a hard drive so that Soderbergh could edit it the next morning on the drive back out to <laughs> to right. site. And as soon as it dropped onto that hard drive. They would take the original card and back it up onto two tape drives that would usually take two days to back up all the information. And then after that was backed up onto the tape drives, they'd recycle the card into the process. Uh, so, right. Um, yeah. Well, so, it, it kind of makes so sense, got, right? Like, we've got become... three. Yeah, but they've got three hard drive and two tape backups. Right. Of I mean, all of the movie. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's interesting, it's, right? Because we, we've become quite quite comfortable with this idea now but like and and, you know by 2008 right like in a lot of things people are already solid state memory has become pretty common in like more mundane circumstances right like 2008 like I had an SOR that recorded on the flash memory like you know what I mean like and that's where it recorded but I also remember going through a very similar experience at the time of being like I backed that fucker up constantly. Right? Can I? Can I trust this? Yeah. Is this gonna <laughs> yeah. work? Like, because you know, when you record, when you're re- taping on the proper film, a chemical process that makes it makes it indelible. Right? It's just fucking there. Unless you burn the fucking film, it's there. Um, yeah. And it was it was a scary time, right? Like it was it's it's hard to imagine how it's re- kind of can be really overwhelming to think about how things much things have changed in a very short amount of time with our with our right, right. really like now people are like well now it's almost kind of flipped it's like well one of these two types of storage is reliable one of these is not and it's flipped on its end a little bit with regards to that right 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 um but yeah i i it's it is very fascinating to think about how they went through like they went through the same thing we all were going through it's like well I'm, you know how many backups of this thing do i need to make to feel safe in and of myself that it's not going to disappear um, and it turns out the answer was like five. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really, it's really fascinating. Also, the tech guys talk about, uh, talk about the way they were able to do editing because they didn't have to, you know, send the film out for processing before editing started, right? And Soderbergh talks about how he, you know, 
why lose that hour and a half of work he could get done in the morning in the car? Right. So he was like editing on a laptop. Which you know? which is its own thing to try to imagine because I'm like thinking about laptops that were available in 2008 and it's like right, you're right, editing right. at least even, like 2K footage. Like, even, oh man, that even must have been Even the highest end Apple. And he says he had an Apple, but even the highest end Apple, that had to have been brutal. Yeah, uh, it probably was yeah. a very slow process. Right. Um, yeah. But they're talking about it as as security, which seemed interesting to me. Like like someone was actually concerned about security on this film, uh, which you know, if this had been made in almost any other era by any other person, I could imagine being true. But Soderbergh's two thousand eight Che seems less likely to have like, uh, I don't know, uh, American based uh, <laughs> Cuban <laughs> nationalists. Uh, wanting to steal the material and burn it before it could go out. Right? Or yeah, I know. Yeah, know? it feels it feels very out of time and place in that way because, like, right. bear in mind, like within like a year, you've got Obama like trying to lift, right. like kind of like reduce, you know. Right. Yeah, we are we are still. I mean, this movie is being made during the Bush administration, right? It, and which obviously is true. There is there's an ideological thing aspect to talk about with that of putting out a Che movie in that era. And almost certainly everyone in pre-production thought this would be important just to make a movie about a revolutionary in the Bush. Right. Era. Absolutely. Right? I'm sure they did. I mean, people were really, really, really high on their own supply in the Bush era, <laughs> like about like revolutions and stuff. Like it was, it, it was th- many ways p- peak neoliberalism <laughs> in, in America, yeah. in the, in the Bush yeah. era. Like we all we all remember it. I mean, there was a lot of like, there was a lot of weird stuff going on at the time. Yeah. There was a lot of a lot of people writing a lot of once, a lot of heavy. Once we told all the actual leftists to shut up, right? There was a lot of and, heavy, and the war was works. fine. Yeah, yeah. A couple weeks later, we we're like, oh yeah, they were right. Uh, we're right now. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, We've um, co-opted that, and we're gonna do the most like lackluster version of of like anti-war sentiment. <laughs> possible um yeah no it's 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 which is also very fascinating because in that same documentary Soderbergh talks about like well you know like people talks about movies and like feeling sort of disappointed that like movies don't do anything anymore uh which I've seen other directors sort of echo which I have a couple mental replies to which is number one they never really did um they never really ever changed the world just like they they are by their nature a little bit more ephemeral than other things that we imagine change the world. But also like, you didn't make a movie that would change the world. You made right a, right. a good movie. I enjoyed it. I liked it. You made a good movie. But like, it was never I mean, going. This this was never going to change the world. Right. You know, this movie's not even going to change minds. No, not really. Right? No, <laughs> no. Know? I mean, there are movies out there. There are movies that that get closer. Right. There's we've watched things like. You know, we've right. watched things like Z and things like that that, like, give you enough that you could, like, walk out of that theater and be like, oh, fuck. Like, I've – what kind of weird cave have I been living in that I don't even know about this thing? Like, they could, like – they might propel a few people. But they, in the end, it's not going to do that much, right? Like, right. It, that's not – like, that's not the kind of thing that propels huge masses of human beings into action. Uh but then also, you didn't even make that kind of movie. You made 
a decent biography. Yeah. About a revolutionary. Yeah. But you didn't like go hardcore into pro revolutionary like stances in the movie. You didn't like you didn't use this movie as a tool for calling for revolution. Right. Or or an undoing of imper- of Americans imper- America's imperialism in Central and South America. You could have that movie could be made pretty easily using Chase Life Story. Right. But you didn't make that movie. You made you read a lot of stuff and then tried to walk right down the hard factual line of what happened, right? So Z and Missing certainly do more to paint the Americans as the bad guys. Absolutely. Than That's this what I'm saying. It really yeah. does, right? Like uh, yeah, absolutely. That's that's the thing, right? Yeah. Is that like you? Sure, we get Americans showing up in 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 part two, right? And that and I don't they, and they do that, read as but, assholes, and they are they are the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, they are the bad. Two. They are both yeah. actually the bad guys, and also read as the bad guys <laughs> to a certain extent. Right. But like their their exposure is limited. They are they are kept relatively free from from flack, right? They're they're. They are just a couple background characters that pop up once in a while to sort of explain why now suddenly the Bolivian army is so good at shooting rebels. You know what I mean? Like it's right, right. I mean, hell, yeah. that little that little BBC documentary that it came with did a better job oh, of yeah. talking about oh, yeah. why, like, about American right. interests in Bolivia than the movie we watched did. Yeah, that is a special feature we haven't talked about yet, and it is super fascinating. It is a, it's a uh, wild one. It seems to be all a, over the place. <laughs> it really is, right? Because it like, it's like it like really starts confusing. with it starts with the revolution is dead, and then moves to uh, also all the miners are organizing now, and uh, <laughs> all the miners just... are organizing now, and then it moves through like it goes through so many things all in like. Is that that's also the one with the interview with um the the journalist, right? Is that the same one? Right. right? Yeah. I think so, yeah. And and then and it ends, it wraps up with an interview with like the Ranger who trained the Bolivian army, talking about I, how proud right. he is to have like helped to destroy yes. communism. Just the most hardcore Americans like like hard line you could ever imagine just how how proud he is to have trained the right wing death squads yeah exactly i'm doing my part to keep communism out of the americas like very much like just this sense of ownership of all of the americas just this it it is that 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 little documentary is like all over the fucking map man it's what because yeah they talk about the myers and they then like talks about like why would Bolivians be pissed at America? Why would Bolivians not like be in like, like at one point they're like, yeah, this this military dictatorship that like formed and right. like they go honestly, real hard honestly, sometimes. <laughs> it's real weird. That documentary, that documentary, putting being put into a a public sphere in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, whenever this DVD came out, is uh, is more fascinating to me. Than yeah, actually, it, 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 out in that being a, right? a bonus feature on this movie is. Yeah is probably maybe right. the most transgressive thing that the entire box set does do. <laughs> right, right, right. Certainly not the most transgressive thing the Criterion Collection no, has ever no, done. No, no. But, uh, the bonus features on Missing are phenomenal for that, too. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, but given given how much of the bonus material here is dedicated to, <laughs> to the, the red camera, camera yeah. <laughs> the fact, that, the this, fact like, that this is on there. Yeah, yeah. it is. it is... 
it is a little wild, and I it was with, my favorite thing that yeah. I watched on here, <laughs> honestly, with, if I'm being with honest. An, with an American official complaining about how we weren't greeted as liberators or whatever in 2008. Yeah. Is, yeah. Just, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, that guy's talking in, like, what, 69, 75, you know, yeah. sometime way back, way back when. Um, no, I think the filming would have started around 68, 69, so... Uh, when it was actually released, I don't know, but, but yeah, it's a really fascinating piece of work and I'm, yeah, uh, not, not that I did not enjoy watching the nope. movies. No, nope. um, the movie was good. I, but that I was, liked it. That was, that was a highlight of the bonus material. Yeah, certainly. It was very surprising, especially yeah. it does not start off giving you Indian, any indication that that is how this is going to go. <laughs> right. 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 At all. And then you're like, what the fuck is happening here? Uh, yeah, no, it's it's quite good. Um, yeah, I mean the movie, but that that gets back to the point we we're making about Soderbergh, like saying like, well, movies don't do like I don't remember exactly what his wording is, but complaining essentially about the idea that like people aren't moved by movies. It's like, well, no, man, maybe people aren't moved by the kinds of movie you're making. Right, right. Like right. I don't want to be harsh because I've liked more than one of your movies. Yeah. Um. But like you you choose like you choose what kind of movie you make. And like yeah, I also would agree that like movies are not by and large the greatest movers of human beings towards action. They have their sort of natural passiveness to them that, that makes it sort of like people talk about it for a little bit after they get out and then like but but I have watched movies that deeply affected me and resonate yeah. inside of me still. So I don't know that that that's a true statement like universally right was Soderbergh involved at all I know he didn't direct but did he like produce good night and good luck um I don't or know am I, I mean, just associating like, that with him because Clooney is the I guy mean it is definitely a movie. Clooney thing I saw it in theaters I remember right. but well, like, Clooney Clooney directed and starred yeah but yeah it just I don't know it's oh yeah no like Soderbergh's like literally somewhere in like I'm just like I don't know 100% is, yet, but like Soderbergh's Soderberg... name appears in this Wikipedia page for Good Night, Good Luck. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's just Soderbergh seems to me that that maybe his stance that movies can't say anything is based on the fact that all of his friends are making movies that are trying to say something and <laughs> maybe failing in but like, they're all, But they're also uh, all – they're all – they all fit into that wheelhouse of the kinds of things we were talking about, about the sort of like – neoliberal response to the Bush administration, like the late Bush administration. It's just so, it's so sort of what it was. Yeah. And like, yeah, those movies yeah. didn't do very much because they didn't do very much. They right. didn't, right. You didn't go hard. You went real, real soft. Right. Like, and we've seen movies that went hard and, you know, got international response for going hard. Right. Uh, you know, Movies can change people's minds, uh, but I don't think Chase designed to change people's minds. No, I, I really don't. It's and obviously well, it's it wouldn't be if it's the guy going not. into making it says, you can't make a movie that changes people's minds because then it's, uh, why would I try to do that? Because I already believe right, I can Right, that's can't. also true. So, Although I don't know, yeah. because this is a retrospective thing, I don't know if he feels <laughs> like this movie should have changed people's minds and it didn't. Or if he had already decided that by the time he got into 
this you know what i mean like i don't know where right. that that belief exactly enters into things you know what i mean like you know what i'm saying like it's hard to see I mean, when when he it at some point he clearly developed I, that belief i also think that in the bush era it would be very easy if you were a filmmaker to say nothing I do is going to change what's going on. Uh, so why try? <laughs> right. Uh, I don't think that that's a good way to go. And obviously right. other people thought different things. Uh, but um, yeah. And I don't know. I think, you know, I already mentioned Kimmy. I think, I think Kimmy is making not a political argument, uh, but it is making an argument against uh the sort of uh, corporatism that we have today of of uh, Apple, Amazon. Well, see, that's uh, what that's control. what I'm, right. Yeah, I think that's the thing, though. Right? Is that like as things continue in society to sort of ratchet up, people in the sort of positions of somebody like Soderbergh don't really have to go much harder to feel like they're going harder. Right. You know what I mean? If that does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sense, but like it, if you if you remained ideologically consistent from two thousand eight to now, and didn't move with your neoliberal peers, you would right, seem kind right, of like right. a radical now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, as, as fucked up <laughs> yeah. as that is to say. Like you're not, you're not. You would not be a radical, and you would not be right. even and you possessed of you radical. You weren't really an, a radical in 2007 either. either. But but you, if you were like one of those anti-Bush sort of neoliberal dudes in 2008, and you never progressed any further towards the left, but you also didn't progress any further towards the right, like most of your cohort did, in just accepting more and more sort of like societal you know like abuse uh, you know you would read as kind of more radical than your peers right and so like i don't maybe it's kind of not i'm not accusing soderbergh of that i don't i have not seen kimi i don't know but like i can also see a world where you're like where you still believe those things and then like now you're like you're somehow left of center now despite not really having ever been out of the center you know what i mean i right, know it's very right, right yeah 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 uh yeah american politics is bad always has been <laughs> yes so, and, uh, and yeah, yeah. It, yeah exactly that the, basically that's the main takeaway america right. still bad yeah uh yeah um <laughs> fluctuating in a way where it is worse sometimes i will admit that yeah, but not, not worse on a large enough scale. Right. Um, right? Uh, just always the same on on a large enough scale. Uh, anyway, cool. Well, I think we can probably pull this one to yeah. a close. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, we we did talk Jay, about it a lot. Right, Jay is a very interesting uh, movie. Definitely, definitely epic. Definitely huge. I mean, we're talking thousands people in the cast or something you know uh just named characters there's hundreds uh and oh we didn't mention it yet but the fact that each half of this was shot in 39 days is insane yeah no no there Uh, are there are parts of this that are madness like let's be very clear here 
Like, I guess, I guess that's that's the that's the selling point. I mean, I guess that connects right right to the red, right? Like the fact that you could even yeah. do that, but yeah, there. But also, not uh, a thing that should be repeated or tried. Right, right. I will I will end with uh, just a couple of quotes from Che in the movie, presumably from Che in real life. Uh, we won the war. The revolution begins now. Uh, is phenomenal. Uh, and his explanation that a real revolutionary goes where they're needed. Sometimes in direct combat, sometimes it's finding food or carrying injured comrades, et cetera, et cetera, uh, is, uh, is really great. Uh, but his whole speech to the UN, yeah, <laughs> just, just watch that part of the movie. But in particular, I mean, it legitimately, uh, I can't it remember might be the best part of yeah, the whole thing. I can't, re- I can't remember if it's part of that or if it's part of the, uh, the interview with the American journalist, uh, the woman, I think, which take place in Havana, I believe, but not that you would know that from the way the movie frames it. But uh, in the U.S., uh, you believe in the myth of self-made men without recognizing that the fate of most people is decided by forces they cannot even see. Uh, is yeah. Uh, listen, <laughs> Che was a smart guy. Yeah, uh, I uh, may not agree with uh, everything he did on uh, the violent end of things. Not my, not my bag. Uh, but uh, ideologically, Chase mostly very, very good. And that particularly, uh, you know, I'm glad that it ended up in a movie, even if it's a movie in Spanish that no American will ever willingly watch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, anyway. So we've been talking about Che from 2008, directed by uh, Steven Soderbergh, starring Benicio del Toro, who also produced. Next week, as I said already, we will be starting into the Roberto Rossellini uh, War Trilogy. I uh, look forward to that. The The numbering on this is weird. Our next one is actually Spine Number 497 is our next film. Okay. But the War Trilogy itself is Spine 500. This is the first time we've encountered this where the... I, I believe it's the first time we've encountered this, where the numbered box set is after. Oh, uh, yeah. No, that is contained not how in this it. usually works. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Criterion, Criterion's consistency on their numbering scheme is Does always it exist? For is, our entire is not, is what, nine and a half year at this point, uh, history of doing this has always been confusing to us. So we encounter that confusion once again next week as we enter into the Roberto Rossellini War Trilogy. Uh, but absolutely look forward to that. Love Rossellini. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. in Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. 
Check out more of the show at lostincriterion.com or, hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Pape. Check him out at jonathancape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.